But Jesus Christ, you are the Lord over all. You are the Lord and there is no other. And great are you, Lord. You are greater than the anxiety that we walked in here with today. You are greater than the fear that we are confronted with today. You are greater than the suffering that we may be going through today. You are greater than the trial that we are facing today. You are greater than the doubt that we came in here with today. Great are you, Lord, and worthy of praise. You are the sovereign God, the one who has power and authority over all things. You don't miss anything. You see all things. And as the psalmist in Psalm 40 says, I inclined my cry to the Lord and he heard me. He heard me. God, would you hear the cries of your people this morning? Whatever we're walking in here with, just as we cast those on you right now in this moment, would you hear our cry? Our fears, our doubts, our sorrow, our unbelief, you are greater than all of it. And would you hear it from us today as we, as an act of faith and humility, cast those things on you, knowing that you care for us. May this be a time of release. May this be a time of refreshment a ceasing to carry the things we were never meant to carry, but to entrust ourselves to a faithful creator while doing good. So Lord, find humble hearts right now, hearts that don't reject your word in private, but willingly, eagerly, and expectantly humble ourselves under the authority of your word. And would you watch over your word to perform it today? Guard my mouth from error and say what you want to say to your people. Build your church, unify your church, sanctify your church, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, loved ones. Let's open up to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, just put your hand up. Our ushers are coming forward right now. We want to put a copy of the Bible in your lap. And if you don't have a copy of the Bible at home, keep that as a free gift, as our way of wanting to encourage you to continue to dive in and study God's Word on your own as well. John 7, verses 1 to 13, it's on page 521 in the Bibles that we are handing out right now. Well, we're continuing on in our series called Life in the Sun, verse by verse, line by line, through the beautiful Gospel of John. And so if you recall, we did part one uh, last fall where we did chapters one to four, and that was called The Word Became Flesh. And now, here we are moving on in part two, called Life in the Sun, chapters five to seven. And Lord willing, we will pick up part three this fall. This is the last chapter that we're doing until the fall. Well, as we dive into the text today, it is absolutely crucial that we recognize this point right here. Okay? Tune in. Here we go. You and I, you and I can't escape it. Everyone in this room, whether you claim the name of Jesus Christ over your life or not, the truth of your life and mine is quite simply this. You and I are faced with a question each day, one question, each day, that ultimately determines, get this, the mission we live by, what I do. It determines what we do, 
the answer to that. It determines our motives, why we do something. It determines our methods, how we do something. It determines our mannerisms, how we respond to something. And it determines the meaning of who or what we live for in something. One question determines all of it. The answer to which, honestly, loved ones, changes everything. It's a big deal. There's a lot riding on our answer to this question moment by moment, day by day. And the truth of this is, it's not just going to impact you how you decide to answer it. It's going to impact every single person around you that you interact with. It's going to impact your families. It's going to impact your friendships. It's going to impact your neighbors, your relationships, all over the place. Your answer to this question. You ready? Here it is. Write this down. You see it on the screen. Will I live today trusting in God's sovereignty over my life? That's the question. The answer to which changes everything. Will I live today? Will I choose it? It's an act of faith. Will I choose to live today trusting in God's sovereignty over my life? Now, sovereignty is a big word, so let's break it down and get its meaning. You'll see it right under it. Sovereignty is quite simply God's exercise of power and authority over all things. There it is. Sovereignty, God's exercise of power and authority over all things. And in answering this question, when we look at this, will I live today trusting in God's sovereignty over my life? It means, will I trust, will I put my faith in God and in his sovereignty over my life? Instead of putting it in myself, instead of putting my faith in other people, instead of putting my faith in my feelings... That's a big one. How I feel in the moment. Instead of putting my faith in my desires, what I want, will I live, will I choose to put my faith and trust in God and his sovereignty over my life? It means, will I submit to his plans and his purposes for me today? Even, especially, when they're not my own. They wouldn't be things that I choose. They wouldn't be things that I want. Will I live today trusting in God's sovereignty over my life? Even if it doesn't match up with what I have planned for myself and what I want. Here it is. It means, will I humble myself under his sovereignty? Which is to say, by the way, when you put your faith in God's sovereignty, you're actually putting faith in God's character. Can I trust God's character, that he is only a holy God, as we just sang? Can I trust in his character and humble myself under his, ready, ready, his goodness? Here's God's character that, get this, he will only work for my good in whatever he sees fit to let into my life. It will ultimately be only because it is good for me. How can sickness be good for him if he's allowing that? He's God and you're not. That's why. Whatever comes in my life is not under the escape of the sovereignty of God. And he will, as Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, for all those who've been called to him, 
He will work it for good. Will I humble myself under his love and trust him that anything God allows or doesn't allow into my life is because he loves me and he knows what's best for me. Here's a big one. Will I humble myself under his power and stop striving to live on my own strength? Wearing myself out, burning the inevitable anxious toil candle at both ends. Will I humble myself under his power and stop striving on my own to do what only God can? Will I humble, here's a big one, I was convicted by this this week. Here, will I humble myself under his wisdom and timing that he knows better than me and that God sees the whole picture and you and I don't? That's a big one. We like to think we see the whole picture, huh? No. Will I humble myself under God's wisdom and God's timing on things because he sees the whole picture and I don't? And will I ultimately, will I humble myself under his direction? That means as I see it in his word, will I obey him from it today? That's a big one for us as we come under the authority of God's word. Will I humble myself under the authority of his word and obey it in his power? You see, why is this so important? Because there's a problem you and I face every day. That's why this is the challenge with answering the question. Our flesh fights against this every single moment of every single day. We often put our trust in other things. And although we say we believe in God's sovereignty, we pay lip service to it. Here's the reality most of our lives. We live in a belief in the sovereignty of man and not God. The sovereignty, like it's up to me. I have to push my agenda. I have to do this. I have to force this. I have to do... Well, but all the time, yeah, God's sovereign, but we live like we are. We wrestle with God for control, always. In our families, in our finances, in our opportunities, in our jobs. And the result is, we live lives of stress and we miss out on God's comfort. We live lives of anxiety and we miss out on God's peace. We live lives of fear and we miss out on growing in faith. We live lives of worry and we forsake God's hope. And ultimately, this leads to living lives of fruitlessness instead of fruitfulness for the Lord. Because we spend our time pursuing our agenda and trusting in ourselves and not trusting in him. And so we have to ask the question, loved ones. We have to ask the question. All right, so if this is true, which we're about to see, totally. If this is true, ask, what does a life live faithfully under God's sovereignty look like? How do we know? What does a life live faithfully under God's sovereignty look like? And this is beautifully seen, perfectly seen in the life of Jesus. As we turn into chapter 7, we see that Jesus' ministry is increasingly characterized by a growing rejection, 
hostility and hatred of him. It's no longer the Jewish leaders and people kind of wondering, who is this guy? It's like boiling over into full-on hatred after the bread of life discourse. Full-on hatred of him. And in the face of all this, look at how he responds. In the face of the trial, in the face of all this, we clearly see how Jesus is living on a divine timetable. Jesus is living on a divine mandate and is entrusting himself to the Father by living faithfully under his sovereignty to see his plan of salvation fulfilled. Big idea for today we need to get. You'll see it on the screen. Jesus lived by God's divine mandate, and to live faithfully, I must also. Jesus lived by God's divine mandate, God's divine timetable, under his sovereignty. To live faithfully, I must also. And here in our text, through Christ's life, we see two truths that we must live by in his power. If we are to live with an increasing trust in the Lord and increasing trust in his sovereignty over our lives and witness his grace, his power, his glory, his purposes, he increasingly wants to display as we have life in him. Ready to go? Fired up for this. Go, Lord, help us. Help us. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word and we read it together. John chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. Jesus at the Feast of Booths. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' Feast of Booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. And Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. Verse 10, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet, for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. Hear the word of the Lord, loved ones. All God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, the first point we see here, the first truth we see from these first nine verses is this. When I am trusting in God's sovereignty, ready? I live by divine initiation. I trust God for his timing. When I am trusting in God's sovereignty, I live by divine initiation. I trust God for his timing. Let's get our context. But first, before we go in there, I got a question for you. God's time is always the right time. Quite simply, will I trust him for his timing? God's time is always the right time. But will I trust him for his timing? Look at verses 1 and 2 as we get our context. Let's read. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So just as the text says, Jesus is right now in Galilee, which is northern Israel, in and around Capernaum. So there it is, top circle. That's where he is 
Okay, so he's just finished giving the bread of life discourse. And when I say just, he gave it six months earlier. This is six months later after the bread of life discourse that he gave in the Capernaum synagogue. And we know that it's six months earlier because in chapter six, verse four, it says it was at Passover. When's Passover? It's in April. Okay, and now as we'll see, the Feast of Booths comes in October. So it's six months earlier, he gave the Bread of Life discourse. And as a result of this discourse, thousands of his so-called followers, as we looked at last week, have left him. They bailed on Jesus because the truth of who he is as the Messiah and the Son of God and the truth of what that means for their lives has become too offensive for them too offensive, too intolerable for them, and they're increasingly hostile towards them. So now Jesus is down to the 12 disciples. He's down to the 12. He had thousands, he's down to 12. Wouldn't call that a successful ministry day by today's evaluations. This increasing hostility is why he stayed in Galilee and didn't go to Judea, as we find out now. Judea is just Jerusalem, right there. See, that's the lower, the southern part of Israel is Judea there, right? And that's where the Feast of Booths is, Jerusalem. So he's up in Capernaum, or around Capernaum in Galilee. He's got to make his way down to Jerusalem. Now, Jewish leaders wanted to kill him the religious leaders, and they're seeking him out to kill him. It's no longer, maybe I'll pass him. They're on a mission to take him out. Notice they're seeking him. Where is this guy? Where is he? He's on our hit list. And notice in verse 2, it says the time of year, the Feast of Booths was at hand. Now, what's the Feast of Booths? It's taken from Leviticus 23, 33 to 34. It takes place in October, six months after the Passover, and it's one of the three major feasts in Israel. So you got Passover, you got Pentecost, and you got the Feast of Booths, or Tabernacles, it's called as well. Okay, three major feasts, and every male, 12 years and plus, would go up to Jerusalem. You say, well, wait a second, that's going south. Jerusalem was a higher elevation, that's why it's called going up. Okay, so it's a pilgrimage festival. Every male, 12 plus, would go, let's unpack this a little bit. Feast of Booths, let's describe it. It's seven days long. Still goes today like this, by the way, when I used to live in Jerusalem. I still do this. Seven days long, and it's a feast of thanksgiving and joy. It's, it's the most joyous festival out of any festival in the Jewish calendar. Thanksgiving and joy, and it celebrates the harvest of produce. Usually with grapes, usually with olives. The harvest was coming in. It's like our thanksgiving, only they extend it for the full week. Sweet. Right, right, right? Yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. They celebrate the harvest coming in, but notice it is marked by, point four, lamp lighting and water drawing rituals. So as you go, and it's the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem, all these lamps are getting lit lit all over the place. And you're like, what is going on here? And there's these rituals of drawing water from the springs by the temple to offer as worship. Why? Because the purpose of the Feast of Booze was to remember God's provision in Exodus for his people while they were in the wilderness. So the lamps represent what? The pillar of fire. Where God led the people in the wilderness by a pillar of fire. So it's lamp lighting and the, and the water was drawn to offer as worship. This is why it's so important we get our context. Because later on, Jesus is going to say, I'm the light of the world. And he says it at this festival in John chapter 8, verse 12. Why does he say that? Because he's showing how the pillar of fire is pointing to him. How the very things they're lighting point to him. 
And that's why he goes on to say, as we'll see in a couple weeks, Lord willing, in chapter 7, verse 38, he goes, if you believe in me, rivers of living water will come out. That's why he says that, because it's focused on water drawing ceremonies. He's like, all of it is pointing to me. The very thing you're, you're celebrating is pointing to the one you're rejecting. It's celebrating the one you're rejecting. And so what they did also, you'll see this, they built structures called sukkahs. Sukkahs. We got pictures of some sukkahs on here. There you go. So they build these tabernacles. This is in Jerusalem streets. But you'll notice, even the apartments get in on this. Go to the next one. There you go. Right on the balconies. And they eat out there for a week as a reminder because God had the people of Israel build sukkahs or booths in the wilderness. And so this is still going on all over the place today. And the purpose of this feast is reminded that God is the great shepherd and that he has chosen, get this, ready, to tabernacle among his people to protect them and bless them. Listen, this is the purpose of the feast, that God chose to tabernacle among his people. Isn't that a beautiful picture of our Savior Jesus? Here's God literally tabernacling among his people in flesh and they are rejecting him. And here's Jesus, the very one that this whole feast points to. Attending it later on, we'll see. And it's all pointing to him. God tabernacling in flesh. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. The word became flesh and dwelt among his people. Awesome. Don't miss the symbolism there. That is awesome. God tabernacling. And so look at what happens, verse 35. Not everyone's so amazed by this truth. Look at 3 to 5. So his brothers said to him, Hey, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples may also see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, notice this, if you claim to be who you are, if you claim to do what you say you do, show yourself to the world. Go public, Jesus, for not even his brothers believed in him. See what happened there? Brothers there. Greek word is adelphoi. In this case, this is where context is key. It has to determine the meaning of the word. It means his biological brothers. His biological brothers. He's got four of them. James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Not Judas Iscariot, the Judas who wrote the book of Jude. Okay? And then James, who wrote the book of James and eventually became the head of the Jerusalem church. So these are all his brothers. And notice this, they are mocking him. They've got that brotherly tone with them. Hey, Jesus, you think you're so good, huh? What are you sticking around here in Galilee for? Mm-hmm, bro. Mm-hmm. They're mocking him. Because notice what it says in verse 5. They don't believe that he, he says who he is. They don't believe in who he says he is. The Messiah, the Son of God, and they start mocking him. They're like, hey, 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 brother. Start, uh, stop hanging around rinky-dink Galilee. If you're really as powerful as you say you are, if you really are the Messiah, the Son of God, we've lived with you for 30 years, bro. And now you're saying, oh yeah, by the way, I'm God. You're the promised Messiah. When you and I were walking around as toddlers together, huh? You're the Messiah. Jaw-dropping. Really? 
If you really are who you say you are, get out of the secret places in Galilee. Get out of the little hick towns and go to the epicenter. Go to Judea. Go to Jerusalem right now. Go, because everybody's going there. And if you're really who you say you are, go at the most popular festival when everyone's going to be there. And here's what we want you to do, Jesus. Perform for them. Go do your works. Go perform, bro. And that your followers, so-called disciples, may see who you are by showing them your works, your miracles, your deeds. Go, go put on a show at the festival that you say you're doing. And stop living in secret and show your, notice this, underline that, show yourself to the world. That is our world's worldview in a nutshell. Show yourself to the world. Welcome Facebook. Welcome social media. Just show yourself to the world, man. Go public. Because that's the world's mentality. It's all about you. Your time. You get your love. He says, show yourself to the world if in fact you can really do. Notice they say, if you do these things. If you can really do what you say you can. If you really are who you say you are, it's time to go public. See what's happening here is brothers, his own brothers, are filled with unbelief in who Jesus is. And they believe that Jesus is just out to draw a crowd. Their little brother, their older brother, we don't know the ages right now. But listen, their brother just wants some followers. I want to be in the popular group. And that's what they're believing is happening. Jesus just wants to be famous. Now notice the cycle of rejection. First it's the Jews in Galilee, bread of life discourse. And now we see in this text, it's the Jewish leaders in Judea. And now even his own family. Hey, if you're here and you're being rejected for your faith in Jesus Christ by your family, you're not alone. You have a savior who can identify with that. We so easily forget that. Be encouraged, loved one. Jesus sees and he knows. And look at his response in verses six to nine. I love this. He hears the mocking of him and look what he says. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come. But your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going to the feast, this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. See, notice Jesus' response there to the mocking rebuke. He doesn't go toe-to-toe. If you were Jesus and you had ultimate power and authority and you were fully man, don't forget, as well as fully God, there's the flesh saying, just prove yourself to them, Jesus. Just go prove, you just can stonewall these guys with one little miracle. Go ahead and shut them all down. That's the way our flesh likes to think. But notice what Jesus does. In humility and submission under the sovereignty of God, he says, my time has not yet come. What's that? My time appointed by God the Father. When he's told me I need to go up to Jerusalem. For Christ, the time for Christ to appear and reveal himself. Oh, he's going to go public. But it's not his time yet. God hasn't said, it's your time to go. But notice what he says, but your time's always here. Jesus says this because the brothers, they didn't believe in him as the son of God, so they were of the world, and they knew nothing about the plans or purposes of God. They're not interested in God's initiation, God's timing for things. They're not interested in God's plan. The world's like, do what you want, when you want, and how you want to do it. And that's the attitude of unbelief that the brothers are displaying before Jesus. Of course they will, because they haven't been redeemed. 
what matters to God didn't matter to them. They weren't living on a divine mandate. They were not living on a divine timetable. Does this matter to you, loved ones? Or are we just so filled with show yourself to the world? My glory. See, they could just do their own thing. The attitude of unbelief says we can do our own thing. We can do it when we want. We could do what we want. We could live for ourselves. And they adopted, this is what unbelief does. It adopts the attitudes, opinions, and desires of the world. And they live on the world's schedule. They live on the world's schedule with the world's motives, seeking the glory of man and not the glory of God. And this is why in verse 7, go back to the text, Jesus says the world can't hate them. Why? Because they love what it loves. There's the attitude of unbelief. The world can't hate you because you're in love with it. And it will love you right back. Until you're not good enough anymore. They love the popularity. Unbelief says, I love the publicity. I'm going to go show myself to the world. I love being popular with the world. That's what these brothers are saying. And they live how it lives and they reject him as the world rejects him. But it hates him. Notice Jesus says, but the world hates me. Why? Verse 7. Because he says, I'm, because he's the light of the world. And when the light of truth shines and the word of God is proclaimed, look what it does. It shows the works of the world for what they are. Evil. That word for evil, Jesus doesn't pull any punches there. Here's what it means in the Greek. Wicked painful. Here's the works of the world. Wicked, painful, and get this, they lead to inevitable misery. Inevitable misery. The works of the world. It's inevitable. And you don't have to look far to see this played out all around us. I made the mistake last night of just before going to bed, looking at the news. Inevitable misery. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Of course there is. You're not going to the true life. The works of the world are evil. They can only breed evil doesn't mean we hide under a rock, loved ones, but we have a right worldview to address them and to engage them in love and in truth. Verses 8 and 9, Jesus says, in this light, in the light of this truth, you go to the festival, but my time, God's time, is not yet here. I will wait for it. Will you wait for it today? He says, I'm going to wait. Trusting in the Father's sovereign plan and seeing his plan accomplished. I'm moving to the cross. I'm going to go public, bros, but I'm going in God's time and not yours. See, Jesus' timetable was not their timetable because his purpose was not their purpose. The purpose he's living for is the purpose and plans of God. And their purpose was living for their own for the world, themselves. And so today, you look all around, loved ones, you see the world lives on the world's timetable. The attitude of unbelief says, 
Don't wait for God to initiate. Don't do that. You be the one to do it now. Don't wait for God to initiate what he has in store for you. You just take the reins and run, man. That's called independence. Get instant gratification. Instant gratified. Go now. Get what you want now. Have it your way now. You can't trust God. That's what we're saying. You have to trust in yourself. That's the attitude of the world. Loved ones, here, here's a little litmus. And see how we're doing with this? I was very convicted with this this week. How often do we get frustrated when God doesn't work on our timetable? Be honest with them, loved ones. This is church. You're loved. Be honest. You get frustrated when God doesn't work on your timetable? Welcome to the show. When he doesn't do things when we want and how we want them done? You ever get frustrated? Mm-hmm. You and me both. He doesn't give us the job that we want to have when we want it. He doesn't give us a spouse when we want them. He doesn't change our spouse how we want them, when we want them to change, to get them to do the things that we want them to do. Whose timetable are you on? Whose sovereignty are you trusting in? When my kids, when they don't change how I want them to? How about this? When I don't get the affirmation, when... Timetable for a paycheck? I gotta have it now. I got a timetable for getting a car, getting change in people and in us. I want change to happen faster. When God doesn't deliver relief from the trial or hardship when we want, that's the attitude of the world, that's the attitude of the unbelief, loved ones. And we need to go to the rock that is higher than us. Amen? We need to go to the rock that is higher than us. That God's timetable very likely won't be our timetable because He sees the whole picture. And this is where we need to choose to trust or choose to trust in ourselves. Only one doesn't lead to inevitable misery. See, we quite easily run ahead and instead of waiting on God to initiate his good plan for us in his sovereignty, we try to initiate our own plans, thinking we see the whole picture and we end up much worse off. Here, just look around. Stressed? discouraged, grumbling. By the way, do you know what grumbling is? Can I just encourage you with this? Grumbling is just saying, quite simply saying to God, I know better than you. That's an assault on the character of God, that he doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, he does. But the question is, will you trust him? We start grumbling, we start complaining, we start getting worried, we start getting fearful. And it just hit me as I was walking through this, loved ones, this week, love you so much. I want to share this with you. How, I wonder how much of the stress, how much of the anxiety, how much of the fear you and I go through is because we're trying to initiate what only God can and not waiting for him to do it his way in his time. See, to live with an increasing Trust in God's sovereignty means we give up control of our timetables, loved ones. We give up control of the timetable. And we give up control of our purposes and outcomes that we desire from our timetables. 
And we turn it over to him and wait patiently for him to lead us under his sovereignty to what he wants for us and knows what is right for us. And you may say, well, what do I do in the waiting? Do I just kind of kick back and say, well, God's got to... No, 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 listen. Listen. We are called to live faithfully and serve faithfully in the waiting with where God has us. Waiting for God's timing doesn't mean laziness. It means faithfulness. Faithfulness to what God has already entrusted to us and what he has put in front of us and how he's using those circumstances to shape us and mold us for what he may bring us to next. But he's using them to change us so we don't crush under the weight of those things by getting them too early. He does it out of love. doesn't mean we're lazy. It means we're faithful. And if an opportunity comes, you say, well, wait a sec. How do I know if God's initiating something? Listen, if an opportunity comes, go back to what God promises to bless loved ones. This is Discipleship 101. Seek him in his word. Not every opportunity that comes your way and mine is from the Lord. Okay? Okay? Seek him in his word and bathe it in prayer and get godly counsel. Get godly counsel. Don't go to the people who are your yes men and women who are just going to tell you what you want to hear and, hey, be your cheerleader as you end up in inevitable misery from that decision. Get people who love you enough where Proverbs says, in the abundance of counselors there is safety. Go to those people who love you enough to say, I see it. I'm concerned about this. This is what needs to be thought through here. Who fear the Lord more than they fear you. And aren't going to be yes men and women, but love you enough to say, you know what, Um, here's a concern I have. They're not poking your balloon. God is using them to save you from a whole crushing amount of inevitable heartache. Thank the Lord for them. Don't rebuff. Go back to what he promises to bless again and again and again and wait on his timing. I love this quote by Andrew Murray. He says this. Pat- write this down. This is so huge. Patience is the token of our full consent that God should deal with us in a way and time as he thinks best. There it is. That's the decision to wait for God's initiation. That he knows best. I don't. He sees the full picture. Jesus' brothers thought they saw the whole picture. Just go public right now. No, they didn't. God saw it, and Jesus waited. And we have to trust. Hey, can I encourage you with this? I don't know what you're waiting on this right now. I don't know where God has you right now in his sovereignty in this season, but you and I need to trust in this truth right here. In our waiting, God is working. In our waiting, God is working, and you may not see it. And that's okay. But we need to trust in his sovereignty that he's at work. And so this is why, as modeled by Christ, you can tell. You can tell the man or woman of God. You say, how? How can I tell? Because what they do is God-initiated. What they do is God-initiated. They won't try. The man or woman of God, here's what they won't do. You'll notice this. This character is across the board. Look all throughout scripture too. They don't try to push their way to the front. They don't try to make themselves known to the world. 
They don't pridefully try to pursue their own agenda. They don't try to be the master of their own life. And they will stop using the people that God has put around them. They'll stop using them to further their own agenda. And they'll stop using them and start loving them. Right with where God has them. And this is the number one thing. As I do leadership training in this church as I do leadership training elsewhere in the community, here's the number one thing that I go over with them. Will you trust in God's sovereignty enough to let him initiate what he wants for you? Or do you feel the need to push your way up to the front? Because here, here's the reality. If we try that, loved ones, as Jesus is modeling right here, if we try that, we think we can handle what we want. God looks into our hearts and says, if I gave you that right now, it would crush you because your character cannot sustain it. And there will be a whole mess of misery and trail behind you. And if that means in this church that you're shaking hands in the parking lot, praise the Lord. You're like, I want to lead worship. I want to Be faithful in the parking lot. God's preparing you. And will you trust him enough to be faithful right where you're serving? And wait for his timing if he should choose to bring that for you. Because he's shaping you, he's molding you, he's preparing you. Will you be content? Cross the board. Let God, the, the man or woman of God lets God open what he wants and closes what he wants, when he wants to, and what it should look like. They live by a divine mandate and timetable. They live by a divine initiative. Why? Because God's time is always the right time. Will you and I trust him for his timing? In that situation you're in, I don't know where you're at right now. Will you trust him with it though? How about, how about in the decision you have to make? Are you going it alone? Are you seeking godly counsel? Have you sought godly counsel and you didn't like the counsel so you won't go back to any more godly counsel? In that longing or desire that you have, maybe it's for children, maybe it's for a spouse, will you trust God first time that if he wants that for you, he will bring it? And if not, he's got something better. He's got a better plan. See, our job, loved ones, is to seek him first through his word and counsel and prayer and get wisdom and be faithful with where we are and trust him with the timing and outcomes. Because here's the truth we have to understand today. You'll see it on the screen. You and I, we would want what God wants if we knew what God knows. Love you. We would want what God wants if we knew what God knows. You and I don't see the whole picture. Will you trust him? Will you and I stop trying to play God, living with unbelief, trying to initiate for ourselves and submit ourselves to him? Because... Last point, when I'm trusting in God's sovereignty, I live by divine initiative, trusting God for his timing. And with this, we see it right here in these last four verses, I live by divine direction. Divine time, divine direction. I trust God for his way, not just his timing, but for his way. God's way is always the right way. Let's say it again. 
God's way, not your way, not my way, God's way is always the right way. Will I trust and obey him? Will I trust and obey him? Not just for his timing, but for the way. Look at 10 to 13. But after this, his brothers had gone up to the feast. Then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. There it is. That's God's way. God always gives grace to the humble. He goes up in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly. Now notice this. It says, he also went up after this. Now wait a second. Does that mean, did Jesus just lie? I don't think I don't know you're asking that. Did Jesus just lie? He said, I'm not going up to this feast. And now he's going up to the feast. Can we even trust him? That's it. Bible can't be trusted. Chuck it, huh? Not quite. Hold fast. Hold fast for a moment. Everyone repeat after me. This will help your Bible reading substantially. Ready? Context is key. Yeah. Context is key. Jesus did not lie. He didn't lie. Now that we understand the context, because it's key, we see quite clearly that what Jesus said in verse 8, he says, I'm not going up to this feast. When he said that, he was saying that he wasn't going up at that time. I'm not going up to this feast at this time. Context is key. Because it wasn't God's timing for him to do so. It was only after his brothers went up that he could go privately. The word privately there means secretly. He went secretly, clandestine, if you will. Jesus going to the feast. And it wasn't just about when God wanted him to go, but now we see Jesus being faithful to how God wanted him to go. Don't show yourself to the world right now. You go in private, son. You go in private under God's direction. Now notice the, un- notice the contrast right here. Notice the contrast. God's way, the world's way. The values, the priorities. The unbelieving attitude of the world via the brothers. Go up, go public, go big, show yourself, make a scene, make a name. Establish your brand. That's the world. You gotta do it yourself. Uh-uh. They said, go publicly, go seek honor, go make a grand entrance. But God had called them to go privately, go secret in humility. The way up with the Lord is always down. Go privately, humbly. And that's the opposite of what the world said to do. Why? We see in verses 11, 13, his brothers didn't know one crucial piece of information when they said that to him. They didn't know that the Jewish leaders were looking for him. The word looking for there means they are actively searching him out. They are actively searching him out by investigation and they have hostile intent. Brothers didn't know this. They're up in Galilee. How could they? But God knew. God knew. He knew how it had to be done to accomplish his plan. And it flew right in the face of the attitude of unbelief that doesn't see the whole picture. They wanted to kill him. And he was the talk of the town. 
Imagine if the guy who's the talk of the town, much muttering, by the way, means whispering in secret, makes a grand entrance. You think anyone's not going to notice? You think he's not going to get taken captive at this point? Of course he will. Foolish move. And people were afraid to speak about him publicly because of the hatred and hostility of the Jews and how, what they wanted for him. And we have to realize this. If Jesus had listened to the world's ideas of how things should be done, he would have been killed. And the Father's plan of salvation, not fulfilled. Why? Because he had more to do. He wasn't finished. Jesus couldn't have said, it's finished at this point, because it wasn't. The plan of salvation being worked out. The Father had more for him to do and more of his plan to be worked out. And in his sovereignty, he would see it done as Christ submitted himself to and followed his divine direction, which ultimately led him in God's time and way to death on a cross for our sins and the hope of salvation for us if we would believe in his name. Want to see the beautiful picture of climax of Christ's obedience, doing it God's way? Here it is. Philippians 2, and being found in human form, there he is, there's our beautiful God incarnate tabernacling among his people, isn't that beautiful? Human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You think it was worth waiting for the Father's way and his time? Oh yeah. God's divine mandate right there. God's divine timing, his divine direction fulfilled right there. Now remember, remember, leave you with this. We would want what God wants if we knew what God knows. And we would want it in his timing. And we would want it in his way. And I doubt very much, hit me this week, I doubt very much that Jesus' brothers would say to him right now, you should have done it our way. You think they'll be saying that? Not a chance. And I doubt very much that any of us saved here today would say, you should have done it the world's way, Jesus. Because we would have no hope. God's way is always the right way. He knows what he's doing and when it needs and how it needs to happen. Will you trust and obey him? If you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal savior, what's your first step to trusting in the sovereignty of God? Putting your hope in him. Repenting of your sin and confessing him as your Lord and savior that went to the cross to die for you fully God and fully man and paid the penalty for your sin and mine that we deserve. And believers, let me ask you a question. Go back to the initial question of the, of the sermon. Will you live today trusting in God's sovereignty over your life? What areas or area do you need to trust his word and obey? You've been trying to push yourself to the front having it on your time, getting your way when you want it, where do you need to step back and say, God, I trust you. Help me to be faithful right where I am. Will you confess that today, repent of it, and begin entrusting yourself to God's sovereignty by living with a divine initiation?
and under divine direction through obedience to God's word and the power of the spirit. And some of you, can I encourage you with this? This is tough. You may say this, this is too hard. How do I know? This is, I, I'm so used to just doing my own thing and pushing my way to the front. How do I do this? How do I change? Be encouraged. Hey, can I, can I take you back to the bread of life discourse in John 6 where Jesus says, if anyone abides in me, if anyone has a personal relationship with me, I abide in him. I abide in them. Huh? Huh? That's good news. Because here's what we have to understand. If you're here and you're saved, Jesus abides in you and he is ready to give you a gospel-empowered obedience and submission to his sovereignty by his power in you. And as he was faithful to submit to his father in all things, in his time and way, through his power in us, we can too increasingly. There's the great hope of the gospel, but will you trust him? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, if your kingdom is to come in our lives, our kingdom needs to go. What we're striving for what we're trying to do on our time, and our, it needs to go. Your kingdom come, our kingdom go. Lord, help us. Would you help us, Lord? This is so tempting to think that we see the whole picture, to think that we have to initiate for our lives what, what you want for them. God, give us the strength of patience to believe that in all our waiting, you are up to something good for us. That in the trial, that in the hurt, that in the suffering, we can trust ourselves to the hands of a faithful creator and continue to do good. Be faithful right where we have in your time and in your way. God, would you give us a hunger for greater obedience today? And whatever my brothers and sisters, precious people in front of me here, Lord, whatever they're going through right now, I pray right now, as we sing this last song, this wouldn't just be words on a screen. This would be a declaration of the heart to say, this I know. I will see the victory come and I will see the enemy run and I trust you because your ways are higher than my own. Oh Lord, would you help us respond to you faithfully today? In Jesus' name, amen.